Yeah, see, I don't understand the bull selection stuff because they've got the straight and they've got the confidence. So what, you're, so what you're telling me is because you all have a straight group, you have no confidence in your <laughs> picks. Okay, we have a lot of confidence in our pick now, or in our bull game at least. It also we leads to this weird sexual discussion, whereas if you're straight, you're not confident. So wait, only mm-hmm. anyway that I don't want to get political on here. That that could get very awkward. Uh, does it count as political? I don't know. Anyhow, yeah. so Nigel will listen to it more. Oh, that's certainly yeah, and we haven't had Nigel on in forever. By the way, how's everything else going over there in Texas? Pretty positive. You got any yeah, snow? So uh, no, not yet. There might be some for Christmas, but I don't think so. Okay. Really That's kind of a weird thing for me to think about for, like, snow in Texas of all places. But I just got back from Philadelphia, and there's snow everywhere. It was like hmm. a blizzard. Oh, well. That's insane. Yeah, that'll happen. And welcome back, everybody, to the Tommy Meets Podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today is... Artem, our favorite Texas A&M fan. How's it going today, Artem? What's up, guys? Good to be here. I didn't even realize that you were part of a recruiting site. So is this just someone you follow, or do you actually give them, like, input um, as far as who and where they should be recruiting? I don't know, man. I follow a couple sites. One of them is called The Other 98, which is supposed to be a pun because at A&M, if you don't participate, you're called a 2 percenter. So it's actually a pretty cool name if you're the other 98. So uh, that's a forum, and they talk about recruiting. They talk about coaching, just any really A&M sport news. It's mostly football, though, because we're in Texas. I also follow 247 Sports, which is very similar, but I feel like both sides have a little bit of insider uh, people posting. So every once in a while, if I see a good kid that, uh, you know, little known I'll post something up there and I'll be like hey what do you guys think of this guy just get some feedback and you never know sometimes I'll end up on the radar yeah that's fair I mean I'm sure I'm kind of curious like Texas A&M is most well known for getting all these good recruits and then having them transfer ever elsewhere speaking of which uh hey how, how are you feeling about the whole Kyler Murray situation yeah I don't know if he would have ever become anything playing an sec defense every week um he kind of showed that in the six games he tried even though he was a true freshman he made some really dumb decisions and aside from those aside from dumb freshman decisions he just wasn't fast enough i think sec is a league that's known for putting their athletes on defense whereas the big 12 is known for putting their athletes on offense so what you get is when you got a person who thinks they're the fastest guy on the team coming out of high school and they think they can run really fast, a linebacker of safety is just as fast as they are in the SEC. Big 12, I wouldn't say the same. Well, it's also kind of interesting to me. I mean, so we try to stick away from the Heisman talk as much as possible for our listeners out there because we don't believe in overhyping it or drawing it out or beating a dead horse. But it is fascinating to me, since we're finally bringing up the subject, that uh, a guy who's essentially not really interested in pursuing a career in football ended up getting the award. Uh, I thought just from the sheer politics of it, that would keep him from actually winning the award. Because you want to see a guy, if you're going to give a Heisman Award out, you want to see give it to a guy who's going to play at the pro level. 
in my mind anyway. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any particular feelings on that? Uh, uh, I, th- I think it was pretty biased this season. You could tell there were three quarterbacks that were finalists. There are other players out there that are good that could have been part of the discussion that they just purely didn't include. If Tua wasn't in the conversation last week after that Bama game, kind of like you said offline, then they shouldn't have included him in the top three. Put another guy out there. There are plenty of people making plays out there that are exciting, and you should reward those people, like you said, instead of you know a guy who's, eh, I don't know if I'm going to pursue a football career. That shouldn't, that shouldn't discount you, but the fact that you're part of a Big 12 offense where your receivers are you know, three or four steps ahead and you're throwing them wide open every time. I don't think Baker, May- Baker Mayfield should have won it for the same reason, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I do feel like you've got kind of a bias. Uh, we just talked about the transfer situation for both those quarterbacks. But I, I guess for me it was kind of interesting. We, Andrew, Tommy, and I have discussed this a lot. Uh, the Heisman Award has devolved into... It's no longer the best player, because if it was the best player, you'd be seeing awards going to players on teams like Navy or teams like Utah State or even Memphis or UCF. But it's going to the player that's most recognizable on one of the top five teams in the country. That's why you see Ohio State and now Alabama and Oklahoma consistently winning these things. And I've never been a fan of that, but it, it kind of is what it is. I was just kind of caught off guard. I was caught off guard by the fact that the award was kind of just handed to Kyler Murray because Tua fell on his face. Which I, I'm not going to say that I felt that Tua deserved to win the game after the battle against Georgia. I think the fact mm-hmm. I think the fact is you gotta perform throughout the entirety of the season. And that was the one challenging game that he faced, and he looked terrible playing against Georgia. But should that really discount all the other stats he put up on the season? The guy hardly played. I mean, I guess technically he didn't really play a fourth quarter in the Georgia game either, but he hardly played the fourth quarter because of how crazy the numbers were he was throwing out there. And this was against SEC defenses. True. And on the other hand, I want to say – I want to ask you a question. Out of the three guys that were the finalists, you watch enough football to have seen probably at least three games of each, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, honestly, I don't even remember the name of the third guy, but I know he was Ohio State. Yeah, I, I've seen... I've oh, seen... man, I was about to say Braxton Miller. That's wrong. Yeah, I was about to say. there's. I don't even remember his name, but yeah, I know who... I know. What position? I know where he was at, but uh, no, I didn't even... Haskins. Okay, there we go. So, yeah, I've seen enough of their games. So, I'll ask you this. Do you think any of those three guys had a moment where you were like, that was Heisman moment? Um, Tua, definitely not. not. Not the Ohio State guy either. I'm trying to think of Kyler Murray. Because there are some arguments that could be made, mm-hmm. but it's it's more like he played a complete game. Like, I think of the West Virginia game as just being such a sick game where I really do think that he won them that game. That was a great 
one-on-one battle between Will Greer and Kyler Murray. But at the same time, you look back at all these games he played, and it's like if he was in a different conference, I don't know that he would be putting up the same kind of numbers and stats. And if you ask me to name any of the particular plays in that game, even the ones where he scored touchdown, I, I for the life of me, I couldn't tell you because it, it was all just – Air raid, air raid, air raid, and I don't remember anything else. And a couple of runs. He, he's well, like, like you said, you know, Tua lost it with the game he had against Georgia, who was whatever rankings, but rated four in the country, playing for the SEC championship. He got hurt, and he came out. He wasn't playing well to begin with. Kyler, for that same reasoning, should have lost it when they played Army, and they took Army to overtime. I'm not... You know, not a slant on Army or anything. They're a good team this year. But you got to understand that you're playing best big-bodied five-star, four-star athletes out there against guys going to the academy who have to pass an Army PT test, which is hard to do if you're also a football player. So, I, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of like the, the college football playoff, right? They don't start announcing it until like eight or nine weeks in. They start telling you who the top guys are. They should do that for the Heisman. Like you said, Will Greer was part of the conversation, and that guy didn't have a Heisman moment either. They were just like, he's a senior. He's going to put up big numbers. Let's put him in the conversation. Well, uh, and you might have a better opinion than I do. I honestly couldn't think of anybody who really defined the Heisman trophy this year, anybody who really just flat out deserved it but you you tell me do you have someone in mind when you're bringing up the uh heisman moment itself uh, i mean i have a couple people um this is going to be this one first one's going to be biased as fuck um trevion williams overtime touchdown run to beat kentucky that's one um here's a non-biased one Nikhil harry at arizona state had a heisman moment in like every game where he threw 15 people off of him before scoring touchdowns. Um, my favorite pick for the Heisman, I think it should have been Henderson out of, um, oh man, um, I forgot who he played for. Memphis. Yeah, I really did like Henderson out of Memphis too, now that you mention it. I kind of wanted Holinsky to win it, but after the game he played against Washington, there was there was just no way. Will Greer was my favorite out the starting gate, but he he showed us that he could definitely have some really bad games and as well as have some fantastic games. So it's really hard for me to support a guy like that. I, I honestly, I thought this was a good year for like a running back. Um, yeah, I would love for a running back to win it next year or the year after because I think all of these, a lot of these guys might stay because they're juniors. Except Henderson, I think, uh, 100% gone. But, like, A&M, Travion Williams put up 1,300 yards this year. Might put up 1,800 next year. Or even consider him in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, and, heck, what's the name of that kid out of Kentucky? I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, he's gone. Uh, Bell, I think, was his last name, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking of Le'Veon Bell. Oh, uh, Snell. Snell. Snell, that's it. Yeah, I was about to say, if Snell sticks around, then... He he, and they beat Georgia. Like I put him as a top contender. He did some great things there, but yeah, if he's gone, I don't fault him at all. Um, so, and the, and the one thing that I think a Heisman defines is kind of like you said, it's the best player in college football. So, 
I don't want to see any Heisman rankings until like week six or eight, until we've had enough footage to where there's excitement around some player instead of you just putting people in a conversation. And at the same time, I think a Heisman should experience and should fail in the game. I want to see his team either lose or almost lose a game because he's not doing well. Because that's how you can tell, right? Uh, Alabama, to give a counterexample why Tua maybe shouldn't have won it, Alabama put in another quarterback, and he won the game for him and played better than Tua. That shouldn't be the case for that team. They should be getting 9 or 10 wins because this guy, when he doesn't perform, that team sucks. Well, and I guess that's my defining thing for a Heisman moment. When I think of a Heisman moment, I think of their team struggled, they got put into crunch time, uh, and they made a big play to win them the game definitively. Uh, I think you should have one of those too. Yeah, um, the, and that's really my problem is, especially on the big teams this year, I can't think of a moment quite like that. Most of those big teams dominated. Um, maybe the Syracuse quarterback has had a couple of those. That I Honestly, that wouldn't be a bad decision either. Um, but I could see that. Maybe somebody from Northwestern um, or Purdue. Oh, yeah. Moore should have been in the conversation. Oh, yeah. That Purdue, yeah. What's his, Purdue's running back, is his name Moore? Oh, my gosh. No, Rondale Moore was their uh, wide receiver, but they used him for uh, end arounds or what do you call them, uh, jet sweeps. They used him on, you know, passes. He had four or five touchdowns in one of the games as a true freshman. Dude, he's, That's the guy that should be in the conversation. He makes the game exciting. He is crazy, and he's fun to watch. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, sadly, that's not the world we live in anymore. We live in – it's all based around the top five teams. That's just what mm-hmm. it is. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I guess if I had to pick one, Kyler Murray isn't the worst case scenario. I just feel like it's kind of cheap for them to discredit to a uh, based off of one game. Just because it's a recent memory. Like you said, Kyler Murray had bad games too. They lost to Texas. They did it. My biggest knock on what they did is I remember, do you remember why? Like, Texas Tech quarterbacks put up ungodly numbers for years. And there's like 6,000 yards, 5,000 passing yards, and they'll run for a little bit. They have n- almost never been part of the Heisman conversation the last 10 years. Why? Because people just assume it's the system. So, why the hell would you give two back to back OU quarterbacks? The Heisman, if they're putting up pretty much the same numbers, and the, one of the only people that left that team was the quarterback. Hey, hey, hey. It's not like they run the air raid offense. Come on, come on. They run a pro-style <laughs> offense. They just happen to run it out of the shotgun formation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't – yeah, honestly, I'm – I did see that post on Reddit. I don't know if you read that, where somebody was asking, like, does Oklahoma actually does Oklahoma run the air raid? I don't understand. And I'm like, please tell me this is a joke. But I saw people on there taking it seriously. Like, no, of course not. What? I... Anyway, is what it is. Uh, I'm kind of. I've been there as a uh, ignorant fan who has learned over the years so I could I can understand where they're coming from they're probably just they don't know any better <laughs> or maybe they just don't know football I don't know I right. hey when you got a team that wins it's pretty easy to ignore everything else uh, so moving on to the next subject matter we've got some teams that weren't winning and have moved on or teams whose coaches have retired we're talking about the coaching carousel going on in 2018 and I'm 
pretty excited about a lot of these, Artem, because pretty much every hire I've seen has been somewhat positive, either for the program or for the coach. It's been a good opportunity. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how a lot of these coaches develop. Do you have any particular place you want to start off at? Because honestly, I haven't heard too much of your opinion. You've been pretty excited about some moves. Uh, I know in Colorado you were kind of – are you still going to grad school there? It's Colorado State, right? Yeah, so that's actually funny you mentioned that because I thought that was a really funny move. Colorado also hired an ex-Georgia coordinator, um, and they fired their coach after a better season than the one Colorado State had. (laughs) So Mike Bobo is still at Colorado State. (laughs) He's going to be there for a year or two long. But Colorado was like, nope, can't have that type of record. I think I think Colorado had made up their decision before the they had made up their mind before the season even started that they needed a miraculous season for anything to change, which is a shame because Mac, Mike McIntyre has actually had some pretty good seasons there, given what he has to work with at Colorado. Uh, I don't fully understand the logic, but uh, Mel Tucker Mel Tucker's an interesting one. I'm never going to say good on you for hiring a Georgia coordinator, but, I mean, what he's done for for the programs he's been at has been very impressive. So I think he could definitely have some positives. Uh, but recruiting is where you got to start, and I don't think he has any experience recruiting out west. I don't know. Do you know anything more about this than I do? I think it's going to be a little bit easier for him than most people because he is from Georgia, and I think the South is a deep recruiting area where you can pull three stars and make them look like five stars somewhere else. So I think on that sense, it's going to be a little bit easier. I, however, disagree with the strategy they're taking, and I have a theory on this. I think what you should do, even though defense wins championships, I think the schools that have succeeded in building programs with higher win ratios those schools hire a highly offensive minded coach first and get an offense running get people excited at least about scoring and then they say you know what you don't have a good defense coordinator so you need to find one or you're gone and then after you've built up that offensive side of the ball that's when you bring in a defensive coach um i'm I'm looking at a couple examples here for example vanderbilt is one Right, Vanderbilt brought in a, the defense coordinator from Stanford, which historically has had really good defenses. And he spent, I mean, it is the SEC, but he spent a long time trying to build that program out. And it's in the East, so a struggling East where Florida's been bad, Georgia's been bad, fired Mark Rick during that whole era. And Vanderbilt still hasn't risen out of that because they never really had the offense. You can bring them the defense and be a cha- try to be a championship program, but I do think I, th- I think you need an offensive minded head coach first, which is maybe what Colorado's had in the past, um, and then hire a defensive coordinator that's defensive minded or a, a head coach that's very defensive minded. Well, and I do like where your head's at because that's definitely the best way to ignite a fan base is to bring in a different, a newer, a flashier offense. I mean, no matter how you look at it, the defense is based on the opponent's offense. So no matter what you do on defense, uh, it's it's just not as pretty. It's not as flashy. It doesn't draw people in. If you install a new offense, on the other hand, everybody gets really excited. They're like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what happens with this. You know, even if it's... Yeah. And people like touchdowns more than they like sex. I like sex more because I understand the game a little better, I think. 
than the average fan, but everybody loves touchdowns. Well, yeah. In fact, speaking of that, the Chiefs just threw a touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, that's I, I think it's because the defense is reactionary. Uh, it's just hard. It's just harder to have a spike on that side. But it's also the conference they're in. In the Pac-12, you want to focus on defense in the Pac-12? <laughs> what? That's this is some very interesting choices. I mean, I I don't think he he's a bad choice. Again, I just think it's a strange one that you're essentially firing a coach to where at least you know what you're getting out of him in a not a bad guy, a pretty consistent, you know, pretty consistent coach. I guess just not quite getting over the hump of getting into a bowl game every year. And then you're bringing on this guy with that's kind of throwing your whole strategy out the window and just trying to bring in something totally different, not only for your school, but for the conference. And that's, I don't know. I'll have to see how that works out. Uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not that confident, to be honest. Well, to your point, uh, I think the reason Jimbo was successful in his first year at Texas A&M is because he understands the league. He understands that the SEC is going to be one in the trenches. It's going to be their your offensive line that's mulling them, mulling them over or running them over, or it's going to be your defensive line that's not letting you get off the ball and get pushed around. That's what's going to win the SEC. Um, I think you got to look at whatever your division is and do that accordingly. If it's you know the ACC or AAC, uh, the American Conference, you know you got to have athletes. Nobody gives a shit about if you have a good offensive line. Really, just have those skilled players and you'll be good. And you got to look at the Pac-12 exactly like that if you want to win it. See, hey, if this is an offensive-minded league, I need an offensive-minded head coach and maybe some defensive ones. Yeah, or maybe a good coordinator will get you over the hump for all you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, so I don't want to go too far. I kind of want to talk about Eastern Carolina, but first let's talk about, I think, another big name that's on everybody's lips. So Kansas. Les Miles decided to pick up the job. I mean, David Beattie getting fired, okay, we're not that shocked. I guess my surprise, and maybe you have some more insight on this, Artem, was the coach choosing to get the job was really more Les Miles' decision because he had to go to interviews to keep getting paid by LSU, but he didn't have to take a job. So it's fascinating to me that he took this job because that shows that he sees something in Kansas. Now, what that something is, I have no idea, but it's it's fascinating that he seems to think he can do something at this program, and that's got to be inspiring for Kansas uh, because they've had nothing else to be happy about in the longest time in regards to football. But, yeah. Right, and I think, like you said, he had to keep going to interviews, but he actually lost, I think, $6.5 million by taking his job. So I'm guessing it's something he's needed in his life because I think he's a competitor. He's won a national championship. You can't win a national championship if you're not a competitor. You don't give a shit about your job. Um, he's been watching his son play. His son just transferred. Well, not watching him play, but he's been attending games where his son is playing, which is A&M. Uh, his son used to be at Nebraska, but when they hired uh, Frost, who doesn't use a fullback, he transferred to A&M. So he might be a first-string fullback next year. But uh, Les Miles has been going to watch his son. So if you're a competitor watching your kid play football, I think you're just urging, you know, to get back out on that field and compete. And Kansas is a challenge. Um, 
I think at the very least, he'll sell seats for a season, and he'll probably sell more seats than David Beattie did the entire time he was there. Oh, I have no doubt. He'll probably sell more seats half a season in than D- David Beattie did ever. But mm-hmm. uh, well, time will tell. It's also Kansas has got a lot of interesting stuff going on there because Kansas State uh, has picked up uh, Chris Kleiman. And for those of you who don't know, he was the big name uh, out of North Dakota State who, you know, who has uh, just done incredible things. Basically won the championship every year he's been there, essentially. So he's a insane candidate also going to the state of Kansas. And I think this is a huge hire for Kansas State because, I A, we all thought they were going to keep Bill Snyder around until he died, uh, and B, because I've wanted to see this guy at this level, and I think Kansas State isn't that far off as far as being talented and everything else to being a real competitor in the Big 12. This could be a huge turnaround for them. Or maybe I'm jumping the gun here. You're you're cl- you're closer to all that. You tell me, Arnim. No, true. I think there's been a lot of speculation of how Les Miles is going to build up his program at Kansas, and a lot of people have been saying it's going to be through JUCOs. Um, and you know, kind of the the old Wisconsin coach that went to Arkansas, who put a bunch of beefy guys out front and pretty much ran a pro semi pro style offense, just running a running back down his throats. I think that's how Les Miles is going to win. Speaking of that, though. I think Kansas State and Kansas are going to have a good rivalry finally because with uh, Chris Kleeman there, he's uh, he's going to run a very similar system. And like you said, Kansas State is loaded already with JUCOs because that's what they load up on every year. All they need is a quarterback who can throw worth a, sh- worth a damn. Um, and But everybody else they have. In the past, they've, they've had the system where their quarterback ran probably a little bit more than he threw. Now I think you'll see Kansas and Kansas State go more to a system of big boys up front, run the ball first, pass, play action. It's going to be interesting to see in the Big 12. Well, and I I, I don't know that they're going to beat like Oklahoma, but I do think Kansas State could be a good 9-3, and 10-2 team uh, pretty in pretty quick order. Uh, Kansas probably take a little bit more of a rebuilding, but uh, like you said, uh, they – They've got the JUCO talent there already, so we'll see what happens. Uh, so I've I've kind of taken the reins here and been leading us along. Do you have any particular coaching candidates you want to talk about off the bat, Artem? <laughs> Who do I not want to talk about? <laughs> uh, you got Hugh Freeze going to a super Christian school. Hilarious. I don't. Uh, I yeah. don't. So I understand the move for Freeze. What was Liberty thinking? I'm not sure. I feel like they could do better with all the cash they've got. I think he's got just enough evidence to make whatever case they had against him cloudy. But you got to be an idiot to not see a pattern of that stuff. Um, DJ Durkin got fired at Maryland and is now an assistant at Alabama. Also hilarious. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree with that. Uh, just putting that on the record. I'm not. I'm not gonna say anything more. But I don't agree with it. Well, what what do you think he's doing, right? Like, how many coaches has he hired that have been fired, and he's like, you can come be in the system over here. Like, the what was the Tennessee guy's name? The you're a champion of life. Oh, 
Yeah, I don't – no, nah, I don't remember. All I remember is Derek Dooley because of the pants. I don't remember other Tennessee coaches. Sorry. Uh, but, no, yeah, I think Saban's gotten into the point where he's just keeping his buddies around. And I I just don't like it because of – for those of you who don't know, DJ Durkin was involved with a lot of the really, really bad stuff, let's say, that went on at Maryland, like one of their – players getting killed in training uh well he didn't he wasn't killed he died but yeah there there's it's it's pretty bad anyway point being well no it's from a culture that was built by fucking urban meyer who's (laughs) retired for the second time is another hilarity but uh he's the one who built that culture because a lot of stuff came out about you know how he was at florida how he was at ohio state and he was the guy that was you know uh pretty much calling kids a pussy and like hey you're essentially like telling them they don't deserve a scholarship because they're not trying hard and all this enough well he wouldn't give hard enough he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't give them water he was forcing them to eat while exercise it was a lot of crazy bullshit so you can see how that kind of culture can lead to a kid dying at maryland when he's like i'm thirsty and the coach's like you're a little you know yeah yeah it's not it's not great anyway uh, but yeah, sorry. Let's keep let's talk about actual coach transfers. Sorry. Uh, well, these are these are all coach coach transfers. DJ Durkin <laughs> transferred from Maryland to Alabama. You have I think Matt Brown at North Carolina is an interesting move. Um, yeah. What are your actual thoughts on that? Because um, I'm not historically uh, I don't involved with Mac Brown. I know a lot of people up here in UNC are excited about the move, and I'm like, why Mac Brown? Has never been that successful. I don't. I don't see what the desire is. Is it the recruiting that he's just that good at, or what? I... So Matt Brown was actually pretty successful at Texas in the sense of he was consistent in winning at least nine games every season. And then he actually won a national championship for them and went to the national championship and lost within a what three or four year period. Um, so I think I think he did really well at Texas. He's one of the winningest coaches there. And I think that's what he wants to do in North Carolina. I think North Carolina is loaded with talent, and they have been for years. It's just not being used correctly. So he's literally just gathering, gathering all his old buddies around him right now. Uh, for example, one of the guys he got was Tim Brewster, who's the tight ends coach at A&M. He was the guy who brought Vince Young and recruited him to Texas. So you can see he's not just hiring these like off-key coordinators. He's like, hey, your family's in North Carolina? Come recruit over here. I need another Vince Young over here. Hmm. Well, I mean, I I think a, there is a lot to be said for that. I just don't I don't see the same draw. I don't see what draws people into this guy. But hey, well, time will tell. It's it's the Jimbo effect. Same thing. Once A and M did it, I think other schools are now looking in and they're like, okay, who else has won a national championship? Are these coaches out there? Because maybe it is a system. Maybe we bring this guy on, and you know, worst case scenario is we messed up our hire again, like we have the last twenty times. Best case scenario is we're a real program. Eh? Fair enough. Uh, you know, do you want to keep going down the list, or at this point? I got Temple. I think is an interesting hire. Hired Manny Diaz. I guess this happened today because uh, apparently AM's defensive coordinator Mike Elko was up for the running, and we were like, "Hey, you should hold off. You'll get a better job than Temple, and yeah. give you more money." Yeah, this literally happened today, and I actually think this is a good hire for Temple. I guess we'll talk about Jeff Collins in a bit, but. Manny Diaz is 
has always been a really good defensive coordinator, and I'd like to see what he can actually do as a head coach. Um, he's been a very dominant player down there in Miami, and I think he's also been had a big impact on the recruiting mentality. Uh, we'll see. I don't know what drew him to Temple in particular, because Temple's a weird place where you're competing with a lot of the local schools, in particular Penn State, um, Villanova to a lesser extent. And it's kind of crammed in there on the northern tip of the American Conference where you're never really going to challenge UCF or USF or Memphis. So it's an interesting choice. I mean, I guess he's taking it as a challenge, kind of like with what Les Miles is doing. But I thought Temple shared a stadium with the Eagles. Yeah, they're in Philadelphia. I, I don't know. I think uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Philadelphia. There's a lot of kids playing basketball that could be playing uh, football. And I think he sees that. He sees he can use those guys and combine the resources he has from Florida and the resources he has from Texas from being a defensive coordinator there for Charlie Strong for a couple of years. And I think he can try to make a run at it. Um, not to be against him or against Temple by any means. I don't think it's going to work because of my previous reasoning of hiring a defensive coordinator. I think Temple already has a defensive mentality. I think they need an offensive one, maybe some air raid stuff. Just get kids excited, get people coming to games. You're in Philadelphia. That's how you build the town. Well, and they're kind of getting away with that with uh, Jeff Collins leaving, and that's just rough, but we'll see. We'll see what Manny Diaz brings. He's got a swagger of his own, and – I'm pretty sure he was the one who invented the turnover chain. I'm pretty sure. So we'll see how that turns. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, oh yeah, you have actually a tie to Texas State. Do you want to talk about this? I think this was an interesting hire. Uh, Jake Spavital is their new hire there. Uh, they first went with Everett Withers, who won a couple championships with JMU in the FCS division. Um, you know, it didn't turn out well for them. He just couldn't get anything going. He didn't have many ties uh, to the state of Texas. And, you know, if you're in a job like Texas State, you will offer – you got to offer kids first, which they already do. The problem is you can't offer enough. you got to offer everybody who you think is talented or who is a four-star all, all across the country. Don't be shy because Texas, Texas A&M, TCU, Baylor, it's a Texas – it's a LSU. Everybody will steal your athletes. So you got to not only do that, you got to go find the gems somewhere else that are not being respected by other schools, and you got to bring those kids in. And I think Jake Spavitol will be able to do that. He was a first-year coordinator, Johnny Manziel's second year. He did relatively well, but um, I think he was still inventing himself. You could see he got a lot better at West Virginia and Cal, and I think he's ready for uh, a good head coaching gig. And like I said, he's an offense coordinator. He's going to score a lot. And I think that'll bring excitement to the program, and that's what Texas State needs. Start getting those students to games. You have a campus of forty thousand people. You, it's not uh, not okay for students to not be coming to games. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the big thing. There is you've got to get butts in seats. I think that's the larger draw. Right, you're a school in Texas. Come on. <laughs> All right, so really quick, uh, Jim. Oh, Matt- I'll interview you. Hold up, we got this. How are you feeling about G.F. Collins? Well, no, no. Before, it's Jeff. But before that, you got any thoughts on Jim McElwain at Central Michigan? Jim McElwain where? Uh, Jim McElwain took the job at Central Michigan. Oh. Uh, I think that guy's a piece of 
piece of shit, and he probably won't be very successful over there. <laughs> I heard he was pulling kids. Well, and, you know, I heard a rumor, but it was a pretty good substantiated rumor from some sources that usually don't spew bullshit out of their mouth. And apparently he was, and some of them were players, pulling kids' scholarships without telling them, so. Oh, wow. Uh, no offense to Central Michigan. I hope he loses a lot of games. Okay, fair enough. So uh, back to what you were saying earlier. It's Jeff Collins. Jeff. Who spells her name G-E-O-F-F and then goes by Jeff? Why not just spell it J? I don't know. Are we going to get into this is it GIF or JIF argument now? Is it GIF or JIF? I've always thought it was JIF, but I don't want to have that discussion. His name is JIF? (laughs) His name? (laughs) JIF. That's exactly what I would think that would be pronounced. JIF. Jeff, Jeff Collins. Um, no, I think so. Here's the deal: when at, whoever takes over for PJ Paul Johnson is in a tough spot because you've got to revamp everything. Essentially, he's built the whole program around the flexbone offense or the triple option, as some call it. Uh, and Andrew is gritting his teeth somewhere as I say that. Um, it's. It's a tough thing because you have players that can play the skill positions, but you know, there was a big hullabaloo earlier this week because we got our first commit of a tight end in 11 years. You know, you don't have people, people haven't been trained to do that. You've got people that can play those positions, but that doesn't mean they've been trained. They've, through three years, they've been running the triple. So it's a little rough going from that into a totally different offense. And I don't expect there to be a ton of success right off the bat. But I do think he's in a good coach. He's coming from a program in Temple that's very similar to Georgia Tech. We just talked about they've got recruiting problems uh, in the American Conference and in the area against a team like Penn State and against teams like UCF, USF, Memphis. So coming from that, he already knows – uh, recruiting struggles. He's familiar with the uh, fact that he's not going to have the highest investment out of the program for football because fact of the matter is Georgia Tech's focus is academics. It's not on football. And the big thing that I think he's going to bring that I really like is PJ was a very stern, very old school kind of coach. PJ, uh, he didn't like saying things he didn't have to. He, you know, he was very much matter of fact and he would say what he needed to say and didn't usually go over the top and he kind of kept to himself. Jeff on the yeah, other hand... He was a Nick Saban without all of the national championship trophies. It's funny when Nick Saban does it, right? I mean, he's got... He had a bit of an attitude. I mean, but uh, yeah, for the most part, he was very... He was very much like, why are you asking me all these questions? I play, I coach football. I'm not here to, you know, be your best friend on the media. Jeff is kind of the opposite. He draws up a lot of interesting uh, – he did a lot. He had a director who set up different art designs for bringing people into the stadium and for doing hype videos and stuff like that. Uh, so he really believes in the idea that to have a good football program, you have to motivate the fan base. And to get better recruits, you've got to motivate the fan base. And I'm really interested to see how that will come across. Um, To have a guy who is really interested in getting the fans and getting the media on his side would be a big difference at Georgia Tech. Now, uh, 
it'll be int- the other thing that'll be interesting to see is uh, he'll probably go like four and eight his first year. Um, so I'm not sure how people are going to feel after that, but that's just the fact that you're making a big shift and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Anyway, I rambled on for long enough. What, what do you think? Do you think the, um, the recruiting landscape as far as resources has changed to kind of enable him to be a little bit more successful than he would have been in times past? So now you have the grad transfer market. Now you have, uh, you know, a graduate can play, what, two extra years if they wanted to. UAB had that whole thing where their program ended and they granted them extra years. How do you think all of those things and all the resources that we have today help him kind of build your program? Well, what I would expect to see is for him to take immediate advantage of the JUCO market because you're going to get a a bunch of guys who are signing on to skill positions you didn't have for a year or two just to kind of carry over. I do think you'll see kind of a run-pass option kind of stuff, maybe spread option kind of plays. Um, so to to take advantage of the fact that we don't really have a throwing quarterback, we have running quarterbacks who can occasionally uh, throw the ball in the general direction of a wide receiver. And I think you'll get a lot of the a lot of the speedy athlete kind of players and the size athlete players. He'll probably try to redshirt them and put them in different positions, uh, take advantage of the redshirt rule and put them in different positions uh, through the games that they're available to see where they fit best. But, you know, uh, I mean, I, I this is all pure speculation. I'm just saying basically how I think he would handle the situation best. Sure. How do you think – what position do you think on your team is – the most ready for this transition um, on offense and then on defense? I don't think defense will be a problem. Uh, the one thing I didn't touch on earlier is that uh, Jeff is a defensive mindset kind of guy, and that's interesting because we just hired a defensive coordinator last year. I don't know how that's going to – how they are going to work with each other or if there will be a clash at that position. But um, as far as the positions themselves, on offense, I think the easiest will probably be uh, running back for obvious reasons. I, I think you'll see, I think you'll see a good, a good number of running backs and fullbacks in position to play. The hardest one will actually be the O line for pass blocking because they're just not 